Section One of Honey Bee by Anatole France. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kate Fallis. Honey Bee by Anatole France. Translated by Mrs. John Lane. Chapter One which treats of the appearance of the country and serves as introduction the sea covers to-day what was once the duchy of clarides no trace of the town or the castle remains but when it is calm there can be seen it is said within the circumference of a mile huge trunks of trees standing on the bottom of the sea a spot on the banks which now serves as a station for the custom-house officers is still called the tailor's booth and it is quite probable that this name is in memory of a certain master jean who is mentioned in this story the sea which encroaches year by year will soon cover this spot so curiously named such changes are in the nature of things the mountains sink in the course of ages and the depths of the seas on the contrary rise until their shells and corals are carried to the regions of clouds and ice nothing endures the face of land and sea is forever changing tradition alone preserves the memory of men and places across the ages and renders real to us what has long ceased to exist in telling you of clarides i wish to take you back to times that have long since vanished thus i begin the countess of blanchelande having placed on her golden hair a little black hood embroidered with pearls but before proceeding i must beg very serious persons not to read this it is not written for them it is not written for grave people who despise trifles and who always require to be instructed i only venture to offer this to those who like to be entertained and whose minds are both young and gay only those who are amused by innocent pleasures will read this to the end of these i beg should they have little children that they will tell them about my honey-bee i wish this story to please both boys and girls and yet i hardly dare to hope it will it is too frivolous for them and really only suitable for old-fashioned children i have a pretty little neighbour of nine whose library i examined the other day i found many books on the microscope and the zoophytes as well as several scientific story-books one of these i opened at the following lines the cuttlefish sepia officinalis is a cephalopodic mollusk whose body includes a spongy organ containing a colloquious fluid saturated with carbonate of lime my pretty little neighbour finds this story very interesting i beg of her unless she wishes me to die of mortification never to read the story of honey-bee chapter two in which we learn what the white rose meant to the countess of blanchelande having placed on her golden hair a little black hood 
embroidered with pearls and bound about her waist a widow's girdle the countess of blanchelande entered the chapel where it was her daily custom to pray for the soul of her husband who had been killed in single-handed combat with a giant from ireland that day she saw a white rose lying on the cushion of her prie-dieu at sight of this she turned pale her eyes grew dim she bowed her head and wrung her hand for she knew that when a countess of blanchelande is about to die she always finds a white rose on her prie-dieu warned by this that her time had come to leave a world in which in so short a time she had been wife mother and widow she entered the chamber where her son george slept in the care of the nurses he was three years old his long eyelashes threw a lovely shadow on his cheeks and his mouth looked like a flower at sight of him so helpless and so beautiful she began to weep my little child she cried in anguish my dear little child you still never have known me and my image will fade for ever from your dear eyes and yet to be truly your mother i nourished you with my own milk and for love of you i refused the hand of the noblest cavaliers so speaking she kissed a medallion in which was her own portrait and a lock of her hair and this she hung about the neck of her son a mother's tear fell on the little one's cheek as he stirred in his cradle and rubbed his eyes with his little hands but the countess turned her head away and fled out of the room how could eyes about to be extinguished for ever bear the light of two dear eyes in which the soul was only beginning to dawn she ordered a steed to be saddled and followed by her squire francor she rode to the castle of clarides the duchess of clarides embraced the countess of blanchelande loveliest what good fortune brings you here the fortune that brings me here is not good listen my friend we were married within a few years of each other and similar fates have made us widows for in these times of chivalry the best perish first and in order to live long one must be a monk when you became a mother i had already been one for two years your daughter honey-bee is lovely as the day and my little george is good i love you and you love me know then that i have found a white rose on the cushion of my prie-dieu i am about to die i leave you my son the duchess knew what the white rose meant to the ladies of blanchelande she began to weep and in the midst of her tears she promised to bring up honey-bee and george as brother and sister and to give nothing to one which the other did not share still in each other's arms the two women approached the cradle where little honey-bee slept under light curtains blue as the sky and without opening her eyes she moved her little arms and as she spread her fingers five little rosy rays came out of each sleeve he will defend her 
said the mother of george and she will love him the mother of honeybee replied she will love him a clear little voice repeated which the duchess recognized as that of a spirit which for a long time had lived under the hearthstone on her return to her manor the lady of blanchland divided her jewels among her women and having had herself anointed with perfumed ointments and robed in her richest raiment in order to honour the body destined to rise again at the day of judgment she lay down on her bed and fell asleep never again to awaken chapter three wherein begins the love of george of blanchelande and honeybee of Clarid. contrary to the common destiny which is to have more goodness than beauty or more beauty than goodness the duchess of Clarides was as good as she was beautiful and she was so beautiful that many princes though they had only seen her portrait demanded her hand in marriage but to all their pleading she replied i shall have but one husband as i have but one soul however after five years of mourning she left off her long veil and her black robes so as not to spoil the happiness of those about her and in order that all should smile and be free to enjoy themselves in her presence her duchy comprised a great extent of country moorlands overgrown by heather covered the desolate expanse lakes in which fishermen sometimes caught magic fish and mountains which rose in fearful solitudes over subterraneous regions inhabited by dwarfs she governed clarides with the help of an old monk who having escaped from constantinople and seen much violence and treachery had but little faith in human goodness he lived in a tower in the company of birds and books and from this place he filled his position as counsellor by the aid of a number of little maxims his rules were these never revive a law once fallen into disuse always accede to the demands of a people for fear of revolt but accede as slowly as possible because no sooner is one reform granted than the public demands another and you can be turned out for acceding too quickly as well as for resisting too long the duchess let him have his own way for she understood nothing about politics she was compassionate and as she was unable to respect all men she pitied those who were unfortunate enough to be wicked she helped the suffering in every possible way visited the sick comforted the widows and took the poor orphans under her protection she educated her daughter honeybee with a charming wisdom having brought the child up only to do good she never denied her any pleasure this good woman kept the promise she had made to the poor countess of blanchelande she was like a mother to george and she made no difference between him and honeybee they grew up together and george approved of honeybee though he thought her rather small once when they were very little he went up to her and asked will you play with me i should like to said honeybee we will make mud pies said george which they proceeded to do 
but as honeybee made hers very badly george struck her fingers with his spade whereupon honeybee set up a most awful roar and the squire francor who was strolling about in the garden said to his young master it is not worthy of a count of blanchelande to strike young ladies your lordship whereupon george was seized with an ardent desire to hit francor also with his spade but as this presented insurmountable difficulties he resigned himself to do what was easier and that was to stand with his nose against the trunk of a big tree and weep torrents in the meantime honeybee took care to encourage her own tears by digging her fists into her eyes and in her despair she rubbed her nose against the trunk of a neighbouring tree when night came and softly covered the earth honeybee and george were still weeping each in front of a tree the duchess of clarides was obliged to come and take her daughter by one hand and george by the other and lead them back to the castle their eyes were red and their noses were red and their cheeks shone they sighed and sobbed enough to break one's heart but they ate a good supper after which they were both put to bed as soon as the candle was blown out they reappeared like two little ghosts in two little nightgowns and they hugged each other and laughed at the top of their voices and thus began the love of honeybee of clarides and george of blanchelande chapter four which treats of education in general and george of blanchelande in particular so george grew up in the castle side by side with honeybee whom he affectionately called his sister though he knew she was not he had masters in fencing riding swimming gymnastics dancing hunting falconry tennis and indeed in all the arts he even had a writing master this was an old cleric humble of manner but very proud within who taught him all manner of penmanship and the more beautiful this was the less decipherable it became very little pleasure or profit did george get out of the old cleric's lessons as little as out of those of an old monk who taught him grammar in barbarous terms george could not understand the sense of learning a language which one knows as a matter of course and which is called one's mother tongue he only enjoyed himself with francor the squire who having knocked about the world understood the ways of men and beasts could describe all sorts of countries and compose songs which he could not write francor was the only one of his masters who taught george anything for he was the only one who really loved him and the only good lessons are those which are given with love the two old goggle eyes the writing master and the grammar master who hated each other with all their hearts were however united in a common hatred of the old squire whom they accused of being a drunkard it is true that francor frequented the tavern the pewter pot somewhat too zealously it was here that he forgot his sorrows and composed his songs but of course it was very wrong of him 
homer made better verses than francor and homer only drank the water of the springs as for sorrows the whole world has sorrows and the thing to make one forget them is not the wine one drinks but the good one does but francor was an old man grown grey in harness faithful and trustworthy and the two masters of writing and grammar should have hidden his failings from the duchess instead of giving her an exaggerated account of them francor is a drunkard said the writing-master and when he comes back from the pewter pot he makes a letter s as he walks moreover it is the only letter he has ever made because if it please your grace this drunkard is an ass the grammar-master added and the songs francor sings as he staggers about err against all rules and are constructed on no model at all he ignores all the rules of rhetoric please your grace the duchess had a natural distaste for pedants and tale-bearers she did what we all would have done in her place at first she did not listen to them but as they again began to repeat their tittle-tattle she ended by believing them and decided to send francor away however to give him an honourable exile she sent him to rome to obtain the blessing of the pope this journey was all the longer for francor the squire because a great many taverns much frequented by musicians separated the duchy of clarides from the holy apostolic seat in the course of this story we shall see how soon the duchess regretted having deprived the two children of their most faithful guardian end of section one